Welcome to Man-Thing Minute, a show about uncommon interests, misunderstood muck monsters, and the marsh where they meet. I'm your host, Adam Tedderis, and I'm here with my co-host and producer, Sean Sadiq. Sean, feedback. It's Ooh. new. It's fresh. It's spicy. It's lively. What do you think? I think, did we even ever have a podcast before this moment? Unbelievable. Don't say I, that. I, Don't well, say okay. that. All right. No, not, not disparaging. We had some good times, but. We had some know. good times. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> all something, good. <laughs> that's something you say at the end of the world. When you know that it's all coming to a close. Listen, and you look I, at your friend and you say, we had some good times. I'm just saying. This is the beginning of a world. Your word smithery right no. there is word smithery. Your yeah. your your use of the English language has fully refreshed my brain as to Whoa. what is capable and what is possible in this podcast. I'm inspired. Let's Whoa. go. Uh, that's I really appreciate you saying so. Um, uh, you know, for the I tried to say this previously, and I was about to make the exact same flub. Eagle-eyed listener makes no sense. What is the ear version of eagle eye? Eagle ear. Uh, what's what's really what's a good animal that, or a good bird that can hear really well? I don't know. <laughs> Hold on. What's a good bird that hear really well? <laughs> uh, for the eagle-eared listener, um, look, we're we're trying some things out. We're flexing a little bit. We 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 want to we want to experiment a little bit with the format so we can focus on what's important. And what's important is a who, and that's our guest on today's show. She is an acclaimed voice actor known for her work in video games and anime. You can hear her work in the shows More Than a Married Couple, but not Lovers and Chainsaw Man, as well as the video games Goddess of Victory, Nikkei, and Tiny Tina's Wonderland, please welcome Corey Pettit. Hello, Corey. Hey, Corey. Bat. It's Bat you were looking for. It's Bat here good. Oh, she was waiting to, and the professionalism <laughs> to hold that back until she was wow. introduced. Yeah, the restraint shown, I, okay, for our Bat eared listeners i feel like we're insulting them there though that sounds like uh, kind of sounds like an insult this podcast sucks i tried uh cory i i've mentioned your just a few of your accolades and you have so many but what i failed to mention is our background we go way back we've we've been friends and collaborators for a long time all the way back to the days of screwattack.com I'm so happy to have you here. It's a different context. It's a whole new world. And and you're killing it out here. Thank you very much for spending time on this show. Well, thank you for having me. That's, yeah, it's, I, I think we need to have one point of clarification. Uh -huh. uh, screw attack, not a porno site. Yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> was yes. our tagline uh, a thousand years ago yeah. uh, when it was a thing. But, but yeah, I'm excited to be here, Adam. We've been friends for God. 
forever. Yeah, for a really long time. <laughs> and and so much has changed and so much has, has stayed the same. And uh, I, I, I got to say, just say, yeah, as your friend, uh, I am I'm an admirer. I just I love what you've been doing. I think it's really awesome. I think your uh uh, your power level is over 9,000, Corey. Wow. And, and it's great <laughs> to just witness at a distance. And, um, uh, I'm, you know, at the, at the risk of playing down what Sean and I are doing, which is so important. We're, we're building a cathedral here with this podcast. <laughs> I, I imagine that you're just, you're so busy. I can't believe we got uh, a slot in your schedule. <laughs> <laughs> I I love this image that you've um, built up of me and my career. Uh, there's always time for you, Adam, and wow. you as well, Sean. <laughs> wow, so sweet. You won us over. Best guest. I'm I'm easily bought. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We have pretty much no moral integrity on this podcast. You can um, say whatever you want now. Well, let's uh, let's go back a little bit. Um, you, you and I, uh, we worked together for a Screw Attack, which was one of the earlier, you know, video game entertainment websites. Uh, back in the earlier days of of such a thing, it's wild to talk about it in those terms, right? Because when we were there and we were working on it. I don't think anybody thought, well, this is like pioneer kind of material. But when you look back, I, I don't know about you, but, but, you know, w wasn't it just, you know, weren't we, we were doing something kind of early before YouTube and um, TikTok. And then I don't want to blow this out of proportion, but am I, I wrong? Mean, it, no, but the thing is at the time, I don't think any of us really realized that. I don't want to say we didn't appreciate that, but I, I feel like we were a bunch of kids doing dumb shit and we didn't really know what we were doing. We were just sort of feeling it out along the way yeah. um, in a in a way that I don't think really exists on the Internet anymore. I think there's a lot more rules and parameters around that. Um, God, I, I mean, to be wild and free again. To oh, be to be and wild free. and free. Well said Sean. on the Internet. <laughs> uh, well, our dear friend Elon Musk is trying to. No, that's bullshit. I really hate that. Oh. This is the first time that I'll just say, let's just say it out loud. Hey, I don't like you, Elon. And if you listen to our show, thanks for your five stars is and it, positive comment. But is stop. So you're, not this posting, a... you're not going to post this on Twitter then. I, I take no, it. No, of course I will. Where else would I be but in the barren wasteland of Twitter? Absolutely. Adam, is this the new format of the podcast where you just air your grievances to uh, like. <laughs> Pop, yeah. pop, <laughs> pop culture and, and other figures. Well, look, I don't mind saying it, but up up until uh, this coming Tuesday, uh, this coming Tuesday, I have my very first appointment with my very first therapist. So up until that point, look, this show is I'm just venting, mm. you know, we're just kind of getting it out there. And, I'm so uh, proud of you, Adam. Can I just say that as your friend? I am thanks. very proud of you. I think that's wonderful. I think everybody, they, look, I, I said to uh, uh, my therapist when I first talked to her on the phone, <laughs> I said, uh, uh, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> uh, I've always been that kind of guy who has said everybody should go to therapy. And then I never did. And, and then she uh, groaned and said, I think you should see someone else. <laughs> <laughs> she groaned and she said, you should rename your podcast. This sucks. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I, you, you look for creative outlets, right? Don't we all, we look for ways to channel our energy. I think that fits nicely into the, the, the man thing centric issue that we, we read together today. But, uh, you know, the whole idea is everything that you put your energy into, you try to find a, a function for it and for, for good or for ill. 
Uh, it's this uh, silly little pop culture pod that we're doing together. But, but enough of that. I want to talk about you. Uh, Corey, your background, your history with comics as a medium. I fell in love with like 90s X-Men. Like that mm-hmm. is that was my entry point into comics. Um, the blue and the gold team split. Like I, I was all about that. Uh, yeah. And it just it just sort of grew from there. Um, yeah. yeah, you're you're a <laughs> you're a Phoenix girl. You know, my my recollection is uh, it's always been Jean Grey for you. Where where, where did that come from? Well, not in, not entirely. No, no. Uh, when I first so regarding like like X Men, I I was super drawn to Rogue. I think like so many mm. uh, so many young female readers are for better or for worse the complicated relationship with uh, her mother figure and how she got her powers how you know she that internal struggle how she blamed herself what happened to carol and and of course she dated like the hottest guy on the team gambit so <laughs> right that was a, a natural um but when i got older there was something there was something about jean gray that just i don't know she just like she was always the the smart, calm, cool, collected one, right? Um, sort of the the counterweight to to Cyclops, which I I don't know when it happened. When I got whoa, <laughs> are you going to share a revelation here? Have you come around on Scott Summers? Oh my Getting god, a, a spicy? long time ago, a long whoa. time ago. Whoa. Uh, so okay, in the run in. Was it the mid 2000s or early 2000s? Now I can't even remember. Doesn't uh, matter. I don't fact check this show. It <laughs> doesn't matter. Uh, the complication, like uh, right before Gene died, and like he start- carried on this emotional affair with um, Emma Frost, and mm-hmm, and Gene mm-hmm. finds out, and this big, this big thing. Then Gene dies, and Scott's all like, "Oh fuck, what have I done with my life?" And yeah. the whole affair with Emma. It was just so interesting because like. Scott Summers was fallible at that point. Scott mm. Summers was a, was was a person at that point. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sort of sense. Uh, he went from being sort of a a one dimensional character for me, which I know in his introduction he had a, a lot more layers to him. But when I first met Scott Summers, he was the Boy Scout of the X Men, um, mm-hmm. and he was just boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, I, I got to to know this other side, this complicated side of him, mm-hmm. uh, and I was like. Oh, I like him. He's damaged. <laughs> he is. He's damaged, and it makes sense, right? He's been under the tutelage of a guy who, you know, for lack of a better word, kidnapped all of these mutant children yeah. and raised them in a in a fun cult. Uh, yeah. Xavier is an interesting guy too, but he's also been like weirdly manipulative, and so understandably, you know, some of the original team members in particular have a lot of baggage, but Scott Summers, here's the pivotal question. Is he a, uh, you know, a multidimensional fleshed out guy or is, is he just a fuck boy? No, I, he is definitely a question. He is multidimensional fleshed out guy. Yeah. I would argue to say that perhaps uh, I've not read a lot of like recent X-Men. So, so this might get some hate. It's fine. It old, old. So old me was all about the gambit. Yeah. Now me is all about the Scott Summers. I would Ooh. say that Gambit was the fuck boy. Gambit definitely uh, a fuck boy. Yeah. Confirmed. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. And Scott Summers is the interesting fleshed out character. There was the run where um, it was like the all new X-Men maybe uh-huh. where the the original. When they like travel from the past and they're yeah. the young versions <laughs> of themselves. To the future. And uh-huh. 
Gene was dead. And then all of a sudden you have like young Scott Summers and then old Scott Summers. And he sees Marvel Girl for the first time in like, God, 10 years since she's been dead. And he's like, what the fuck? And like it throws him into this crisis because here he is rebuilding this academy with Emma Frost and living that life with her. And then he sees Gene and he's like, oh, all of these complex feelings again. Like, like you yeah. never forget your first love, right? Yeah. Anyway, I just, I think I'm a sucker for like a good romance. And where was I going with this? I no, don't... it's great. I mean, this, the, the central question was. <laughs> all of was this is coming out. X-Men and the intrigue of X-Men. And, you know, I'm, my, my, uh, I, I remember distinctly you uh, in a, maybe a Dark Phoenix costume. I don't mm-hmm. know if we were at a con or something like that. But I didn't realize that you had that, uh, that background with uh, Rogue first. And I think that's awesome because those, those things change over time. I remember as a kid, when I was growing up, Captain America was my number one. And over time, I don't know when it happened, but I decided to be a garbage kid. And <laughs> it's all about the man thing. Now. Yeah. So You know, the natural progression from Captain America to man thing. I, I mean, so many, so many young boys take on that journey. Can we, is there a better way to illustrate late stage capitalism? <laughs> I, I feel like I went from Boy Scout to Swamp. So that's, here we are, aren't we? Sean, did you ever read the X-Men? Do you have any X-Men uh, nostalgia or fandom? You know, I didn't, but now that you know, this Corey's spoken about her her awakening with Scott Summers and her <laughs> her, uh, her, her love for nineties <laughs> X Men. I think you you are definitely not the first person on this podcast to bring up that era of X Men as as a seminal point in comics for you. And it just leads me to believe I'm missing out. I gotta I gotta go back and uh, and and to to read some of those. Is there a certain line or a certain issue that really hit you that we were like, wow, this is awesome? 90s run X-Men number one, start there. Okay. I don't know where Uncanny X-Men falls in the numbering system with that, but it was split between the gold team and the blue team, and the stories run concurrently. Then there was this huge event called the Age of Apocalypse that happens. Uh And for me, that was the the pivotal, like, what the hell moment with comics. Like, this can happen. Where basically, the world ends. Like, the whole run of the, the story comes with this big, like, supernova crashing to earth and consequences are made or are had the world ends and then everybody wakes up in the savage world is it, is it yeah. the savage world is, it is okay it's been forever since i read it and things are different everybody everybody got uh like a costume change and like a look change and relationships are changed dynamics are changed things aren't what they're supposed to be and i remember just absorbing all of it going I don't know what the hell this is, but I need more of it. <laughs> yeah. um, By so the way, intense. what a sick way to end the world than to just get a big makeover, right? Like if if we're really on a path to a meteor hitting the earth or, or you know, we only have so much time left together on this planet. I hope when we all wake up, we just have new costumes. Yeah, like I wear red look. now. Yeah, right. Like this, I think I have a streak <laughs> of blonde through my, the side of my, like a shock of white yeah. through my hair, like rope. And part of your right eyebrow is shaved. <laughs> yeah. I hope that's how it happens. I hope that's how it happens. <laughs> and this is how I'm going to like look forward to, uh, you know, look, global warming. I agree. It's bad, but I am looking forward to that new costume. So <laughs> when I come I to, <laughs> it's over for you bitches. I can't wait. <laughs> It just occurred to me, Adam, you has has Man Thing ever had the equivalent of a blonde streak? Did they ever did they ever change? Did, has him he ever up? had a redesign? Has he ever had a a, a, a an alternate 
universe, or I guess he's he is the guard of the nexus of all realities. So he should is be there singular. only he's singular. Does that make him special in some way? What a good question. So glad we're going down this <laughs> rabbit hole. In the in the modern comics, the man thing is present with the Avengers as just kind of a piece of the man thing. It was like a segment pulled from the original entity, and he is known as Boy Thing. So that's the main reason why people aren't reading comics right now, because <laughs> I think boy, boy thing. thing has a, a lot of questionable. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> not a website you should look up either. Yeah. When they, when, they, <laughs> when they made when they made the man thing in the 1970s, uh, the people who were in the room said this is a bad idea for a name. It's a bad name. Right. We can do the character, but it's a bad name. And Stan Lee was adamant that because everything was a thing. Everything had to have a thing or a hyphen. Um, and they made the man thing. And I feel like the people who made boy thing, one of them being a writer named Jason Aaron, I feel like he was looking back in time and said, hold my beer. I am going to make it so much worse. So there's that. That's technically uh, one. There was there was these. Corey, do you remember Amalgam Comics? They were uh, uh, non-continuity combinations of DC and Marvel characters. They got mashed together. Oh, yeah. It was a weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. They, why did Man-Thing let that happen? Why did Man-Thing let that? He was slipping. And uh, <laughs> Man-Thing was a an amalgam character. He got mashed together with Man-Bat from DC, from Batman. And so mm. there's bat thing. Matt makes, I mean, you just, it's, it's words. That's what they do. It's just yeah. words. Yeah. <laughs> so they, I mean, there are variations on the concept, but for the most part, I don't think you get like a man thing 20. He just strikes, he strikes me as much more of a universal. This is what you get kind of guy. <laughs> that like <laughs> in all realities are like, yeah, like, there listen. are a thousand different Spider-Man, but only this one doofus, <laughs> this like swampy guy who yeah. never changes. Yeah. Why change perfection? You know what? Why change perfection? You were recently a kaiju in Chainsaw Man. And, mm. you know, a kaiju is not just not just the voice delivery, not just the delivery of the lines, but the grunts and the monster noises. You know, how, how do you embody that? How do you approach that? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was the leech devil in Chainsaw Man, which was crazy. I had no idea that uh, that's what I was doing before I went in for the session. They just said, hey, we want to book you for X amount of hours for Chainsaw Man. And I was like, okay, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And so when I got there, that's when they told me that, oh, well, you're going to be uh, the monster of the week, essentially. And and the funny thing about that is I think I only had like 32 line cues, but it was something like 70 uh, reaction cues, which are the grunts and the the screams and the growls and the, the bites and the attacks, all of that. Um, so with anime in particular, you do have... Um, I guess the cheat of, of watching it in Japanese before you have to record it in English. So you're not having to use your imagination as much to like picture in your head what could possibly be happening because it's already been animated. Yeah. Um, so you just sort of like, you watch the scene, you're like, oh, okay, like she's really like going real hard. So if I had this big, long tentacle arm, how would I do it as I, as I go real hard? Um, and one of the, the, secrets of of making effective reactions and in sounds like that is to physically like do it in the booth yeah. as you're as you're recording it right um now with like video games or something you don't have the luxury of of having like the completed animated game in front of right. you because they they animate to your voice and so that one's a little bit more difficult um 
to really get a sense of, of what the battle is like. However, if you have a fabulous director, um, which I have worked with on Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, um, mm -hmm. they will paint that entire picture for you and, and make it, they'll, they'll make it easy for you as the actor to go, oh, okay, I get the intensity of this scene. And you just sort of launch into it. Before we started recording, you'd said one of the things that you like is, you know, you, you as a voice actor, you get to become someone who is not Corey Pettit and, and you get to like flex different muscles and be a different character, different intentionality, mood, behavior, disposition. So to what degree do you, when you are approaching a character, to what degree do you want the viewer to know that that is Corey Pettit? as an actor, you're always bringing yourself to the role. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's how you would act, how, how Corey Pettit would be in this, in this circumstance. Right. Uh, and so when I say I don't have to be Corey Pettit, like I don't have to be Corey Pettit with all of the responsibilities that I have looming over me or, or life factors looming over me. I can be, here's Corey Pettit as a gigantic tentacle monster. Mm -hmm. And if I were going on a rampage of the city, because this fool just killed my fat demon boyfriend, this is how I would react. Yeah. Um, it's so, the reboot Corey Pettit after the apocalypse. Exactly. <laughs> it's the reboot Corey Pettit. I would be a gigantic tentacled monster. Wow. <laughs> a new costume. With, uh, with, as one of my friends said, dick nipples. Um, <laughs> I, also, my favorite uh, private investigator of all time, uh, but, dick nipples. But least dick favorite nipples. pizza topping. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, I like, I think, you know, as an actor, you're always trying to trying to strive with authenticity in the performance, which sounds silly. Uh, taking taking the character as like the leech devil, right? How are you going going to be authentic in that role? But ultimately, how would I feel if somebody just killed my boyfriend? Mm. You know, that's that's sort of how you approach it. And then, okay, well, I would be angry. I would in shocked and in 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 enraged. And you know, if I'm this gigantic thing with these tentacles, and and the fool that just killed my boyfriend is gonna try to kill me, well, yeah, I'm gonna go on this big rampage with my tentacles and try to kill him. Yeah. So I, I think that's maybe the the best way to describe it because I I think it's a disservice to say that there's no there's no part of me in a role because that's that's not authentic authenticity in acting. Um, there's always a piece of me in there, but it's 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 me without without the bills. It's me mm -hmm. without the obligations I have to do the next day necessarily. It's it's me under under this imagined circumstance. Yeah, I've always found as a as a performer uh, in in improv, in acting, in in hosting shows that uh, the most interesting thing you can do in in any role, whether yourself or someone else, is to bring truth with you. Right. You know, it, it kind of grounds your performance in Absolutely. something real. And I've, I, I think, you know, through uh, this podcast or through a, a saying that I've always had uh, affection for, you know, that which is most personal is most universal. And so the more personal truth you can bring with you to something, the more it will resonate with someone, anyone, even if it's not everyone, but it'll really resonate with somebody. So there's, of course, somebody watching Chainsaw Man and saying, damn, the dick nipple monster is, it really understands me. And that's because of your performance. She's selling it. 
<laughs> Adam, it was you. It, it was you, right? Who watched it and had that experience. It's okay. <laughs> I did. I did. I watched the clip online and I was sobbing and I was like, I feel seen. <laughs> this is what this I would is feel how like. I feel on the inside. <laughs> this is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, now, uh, in the Marvel pantheon, Corey, do you have any aspirations for uh, a character, whether it be a specific character or a comic, that you would like to lend your voice to? Oh, my gosh. Uh, in the, does it have to say in the Marvel pantheon? No, just to do comics. Mm, okay. Um, ooh, that's a good question. So I, I don't know. I, nobody probably read this run, but but I did, and I absolutely loved it. But uh, the Gem and the Holograms run from IDW. Fuck yeah. Uh-huh. Was so good. And I would love for them to do a reboot of that series based on that comic book run. Because mm-hmm. it's just so good. There's there it, it, there's so many like great messages in there. Especially the way they 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 updated it to be real, I guess, in, in the real world, the world that we're living in now, I think worked so well. But oh God, like if they were to do an update of that, if they were to bring that to life, I would I would die. Mm-hmm. Literally die. <laughs> Gem and the holograms. Okay. Die. Have they done a reboot of Gem? No. Uh oh. Did it is it a sore subject? Did they do there, one but it was there, a miss? There is the movie that we don't we don't speak of. Oh. Um when did the movie come out? Oh God, I don't even remember. Like to two thousands, mid two thousands. Okay, all right. So we're due, you know, given the way that the the pop culture landscape is we're looking at things that we grew up with and kind of reinvigorating them, rebooting them, reselling them. We're due for a gem reboot is what I'm hearing. I mean, we are, uh, but after the... Hmm. Uh-oh. 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 <laughs> There's a lot of facial expressions. Uh, we are. Uh, we are. We are. I just, I just, I would love for it to be uh, in caring hands. Uh-huh. This, this is what we should have been talking about the entire time, because in 2005... Uh, there was a man thing movie and your uh, all of the the expressions that you made with your face and all of the sounds that you made <laughs> with your soul are the way that I feel about the the 2005 man thing movie and you know for me I feel like there's this there's like this precarious balance of well I'm glad that this is out there but also boy it would have been nice if uh, somebody had any connection to this material who was working on this. I read an interview in, in Fangoria where they were talking with the, the folks who made that, that man thing movie. It's a terrible, terrible movie. And maybe one day we'll cover it on this podcast, but that the folks who made it were like, look, we were really big fans of the, the character, but making a movie is fucking hard. And there were so many, uh, uh, parameters and issues and conflicts and budget problems that we couldn't make the thing that we wanted to make. And we ended up having to just do the best version of what we had and i you know that i appreciate that you know it let me in a little bit so i don't i don't hate any of the process or the filmmakers or any of that stuff i have a a sense of sympathy or empathy for you know you just do the best you can with what you've got and in this case they didn't have much um but geez it's such a stain it sucks yeah the issue that we we read what i invited you to read with us Corey is something that I felt like spoke to who you are, spoke to your interests, not just as a comic book fan, but also as a woman, a professional woman living in a male-dominated space. We read Savage She-Hulk, number eight, 
And the title of this issue is Among the Ogres. This came out in June 1980. It was written by David Anthony Kraft, drawn by Mike Vosberg and Chick Stone. Letterer is Peter Kirch. The colorist is Robbie Caracella. And there were two, not one, but two editors on this book, Mary Jo and Al Milgram. Um, She-Hulk. What's your background with She-Hulk, Corey? Not a whole lot. <laughs> I'm shaking my head, and I know this is an audio podcast. I haven't. Oh God, I really want to watch the show because I hear it's good. I good show. Honestly, uh, Star Wars took some precedent over uh, watching She-Hulk. But, we got to talk uh, about Andor. Yeah. Oh my God. We Holy have to talk shit. About Andor. Yeah. We could have show. a whole other podcast about that. We should. Anyway, uh, so yeah, um, other than knowing that she's Bruce Banner's cousin, and she got her powers through uh, blood transfusion, uh, and she's a lawyer. <clears throat> and also she's a lawyer, yeah, she's which lawyer. is uh, a, a, a thing that this comic wants to remind us of, that she is in fact a lady attorney, as they refer to her. And in <laughs> Among the Ogres, this is an interesting uh, piece. This is not written by Steve Gerber. So many of the, the issues that we read on this show written by Steve Gerber, the guy who really controls the Man-Thing narrative in the 70s. Um, this is in 1980, and I think Gerber didn't work there anymore, or he was just about to stop. Um, and so this is a continuation of a Man-Thing story in which, uh, in the Man-Thing story, there is a, a place in Florida near Citrusville where the Man-Thing lives, and it's called La Hacienda, and it is home to the Fountain of Youth and the purple people who protect it unclear uh and Do they ever in, name these people adam well i mean i suppose the the title of this names them the ogres but i think i think in the original issue they were called the fathers i'm pretty oh, sure that's creepy anyway go ahead i think it's progressive it's a modern family there's two dads <laughs> hanging out in Lafayette. all right <laughs> this issue starts in media res where this is picking up from an issue we did not read and she is in a capsule soaking in the the fountain of youth it's not clear to me why we want her to stay for uh this shape forever or be young forever i don't really know if she knows what's going on um and this whole issue is her kind of banging around uh, La Hacienda and finding out these people have been alive for 400, 500 years and longer, but they, what have they done with it? Just about nothing. I think it's interesting about, uh, and this is like at the very beginning with the fountain of youth and lifting the burdens of base emotions from She-Hulk's soul. Yeah. Uh, the idea of being young forever, I, I guess, will bring her happiness, make her happy. And it's it's interesting to me because there's so much emphasis, I think, put on women in youth mm -hmm. uh, where women sort of lose their, their usefulness as they age, whereas men tend to get better and better, uh, yeah. I guess, as they get older. Um, right. right, like that, that concept... And in its false concept, of course, but they, like men become seasoned and women get right. old. They right? expire. The yeah. grave. We just expire. The right. silver fox versus, you know, the old maid trope, basically. Mm -hmm. And in this issue, you're, you're totally right. It seems like what these uh, purple ogre people, the fathers, are trying to do <laughs> is to you know, make She-Hulk stay the way that she is forever using the, the fountain of youth. Uh, but what, what they do is they remove all of her emotions from her. So it's... It reminds me of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. You know, 100%. everybody's like popping these little pills and they don't really feel anything anymore. And that, you know, is it better to just have one equilibrium kind of state than to have high highs and low lows? So in this case, now that all of her emotions are drained from her, she's just a regular 
person. I don't know if the fathers knew that that was going to happen. There's a really awesome passage here where she says, I'm not angry now. And the, the fathers say, nor will you ever be. Again, woman, the water has washed away all your stress and anxiety. You no longer have a care in the world. And Jen looks at the panel and says, but it's important to care, isn't it? And that feels like, like that level of detachment feels weirdly familiar to me over the past couple of years. Like yeah. I've been so subsumed in so many stressful things that every once in a while when you detach from it, you're like, oh, wow, I feel blissful. But wait, shouldn't I care more? Like, isn't that an important thing? Uh, Corey, what do you think? Is this um, the, the concept of draining all of your emotions so you can stay young forever? Is that a good deal? <laughs> On the surface, no, it's it's terrible because I don't want to I wouldn't want to go through life and not be able to feel anything. But then you flip that on the like the social pressures of it all. You think, well, mm. if I could stay young forever, I could be useful forever. Mm. Mm-hmm. So 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 what is it? Do you go through life being useful until you die or or whatever? Or do you go through life, feel it, experience it, take it in? knowing that your usefulness your usefulness is always on a decline that's a that's a great question and i think that's kind of the equation that jen is dealing with in this book because she finds out that you know the the presupposition that if you can stay young forever you will be useful forever um, is a little bit not the case in this little community in la hacienda these people have stayed young forever by doing nothing uh, and protecting the secret of the fountain of youth by going nowhere and doing nothing. And the way that it gets illustrated is hysterical because a woman walks into a pit of alligators <laughs> and is killed instantly. And everyone stands there and watches. And Jen is like, well, hold up. What the fuck? Like, you're not going to do anything. And they're like, look, we're, we're young forever. What do I care about tomorrow? I don't have to do anything. I have no fears. And so they just aren't driven to help her. And maybe she's not driven to save herself. The lady who was killed by alligators. It's a very weird situation. And then just Jen says, well, this is not sustainable. Like you've squandered your gift of eternal youth. You're, you're not helping anyone. You, you literally just watched a woman get savaged by alligators. But rewind. Go back. The, the part where you said people just stand around and they don't, they don't do anything. Yeah. That's the world today. And what's oh, interesting no. to me is uh, this, oh, this no. observation was being drawn. No, but, but seriously, in a world where we are so tied to our smartphones, when it's all, all over YouTube, all over social media, right? How many mm-hmm. fights are recorded and put on the internet for clout and you just see people standing around mm. doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could be doing something. So it's interesting to me this comic was what written in 1980. 80. And whether intentional or or not, uh, you know, this this shade thrown onto society is still a thing 30, 40 years later. Mm-hmm. Uh and I would argue to say it's even worse now because the the thing that drives people to do nothing is, you know, that that clout, that 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 notoriety. It's like, well, well, if I go in and help, yeah, that's probably the right thing. But like somebody else is going to film this and like get views for it and like mm. get like viral for it where I could be doing that if I do it first. The title of the comic, The Savage She-Hulk, When She Gets Mad. The Angry Woman Trope. 
Corey, how do you find that trope? Is that is that relevant in the year of our Lord 2022? Uh, was this uh, uh, a bellwether in 1980? You know, wh- where are you in relation to that that concept of the angry woman? Absolutely. I, I just speaking from personal experience, I still find myself falling into the trap of I need to be polite and I need to uh, be. I hate the word obedient, but Ooh, when I'm yeah. in, when you're in a situation like I, I feel like as women, a lot of the times we feel like we need to be polite, we need to be obedient, we need to not make mm. waves, we need to just create the less amount of issue as possible, and. As I've gotten older, I am very good at pushing back uh, in a way that is still polite and perhaps maybe not the same way as my male counterparts would because you don't want to be labeled the angry woman or or emotional or out of control of your emotions or mm-hmm. just going through a thing. So, yeah, in the year of our Lord, 2022, it is, is very much still a, a relevant thing. Yeah. 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 I think uh, it is. It does feel very relevant. Just the concept of of her character. Uh, So in this case, She-Hulk turns into She-Hulk only for a fight scene and ultimately a punchline where she fights the man thing and the man thing becomes so overwhelmed by her emotions uh, that he (laughs) passes out. (laughs) The man thing is uh, powered by vibes. He is an extremely powerful empath and he cannot communicate. He only understands crystal clear how people feel and absorbs those feelings. And She-Hulk becomes so enraged, which is its own thing, uh, that he he literally passes out. He just falls down. I guess so. I am not as familiar with man thing, obviously, as what as you I <laughs> <laughs> as you are living under a rock. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> clearly. Uh, and I guess my question would be, just to put into to more context for me, are there any other uh, fights that Man Thing has been in where he just literally passed out from the the weight of the emotional <laughs> burden from his opponent? Uh, because I think that in itself says a lot about how we view women as this uncontrolled emotional maelstrom. Whoa. Whoa. No, I you're totally right. And I'm 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 going through my I'm I'm going through my memory palace right now. And I'm checking every room. And I think your this is the swamp. only time. Yeah, I think I'm, you mean your memory swamp. Adam. Yeah, I'm wading through my memories marsh right now. Uh, <laughs> and I'm checking every alligator and I I'm pretty sure this is the only time that that has ever been the case. So you you are totally right. I think this is I, I mean I don't know any other way to cut it. Uh, it's pretty pig headed to say like, wow, he's never uh, gone up against anybody's rage or ire quite like a woman's. If anything, I'm fairly certain that this is played. And I mentioned this earlier. I think it's played as a punchline because I think this is being played as like a, a sexual anecdote, like that he passes out and she becomes enraged that it's a, and, and I'll use the ending, uh, the phrase they use an unsatisfying ending. <laughs> I don't feel like that's an accident. Uh, so that's Savage She-Hulk number eight. But the thing that I wanted to talk to you about, Corey, is not just, uh, you know, the concept of a woman working in a man's world and the way that Jen Walters does, but this as a medium, we're reading a comic book and we're we're kind of creating headcanon or reading this and narrating this in our own voices. And you, as a voice actor, how does it work mentally, in, internally, 
when you are reading an issue, are you doing all of the voices for all of the characters? I, you know, it's funny you ask this because I would assume that this would work the same way for everybody who reads. Mm. Every character in any story I read, whether it's a comic or or a book, has a distinct voice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with with comics, it's a little bit easier because you can maybe draw some conclusions based on, um, you know, if they're really tall, they per- perhaps have a, a deeper voice. Um, if they're really small, they have, you know, a, a cuter little voice. Yeah. But yeah, everybody has a distinct personality, a distinct cadence even, you know. I love when writers give you those nuggets. Um, you know, they'll they'll throw in, like, the cadence of how somebody speaks by, by either spacing out their words or, um, going back to Gambit, you know, he would have Shea in there. And, His Cajun. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and, it, and it really sort of, like, painted this this weird, like, French Southern accent in my head before I, I really knew what a Cajun accent sounded like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, does, does not everybody create distinct voices in their head for their characters? For me, reading comic books, you know, I don't know if I do the voices of all of the individual characters. I will always do the sound effects. I will do them out <laughs> fucking loud. And when I see Jen Walter or She-Hulk fighting the man thing, I can't not swapash. Like, I have to do that. I don't know what it is, yeah. but I, I feel like an affinity for the onomatopoeia more than the voices. What about you, Sean? I'm just now visualizing you alone in your apartment acting out <laughs> by yourself. You know, I, that's interesting. So... I think for the longest time, I did not have individual voices for characters. I think Mm. what made me start to do that and start to realize that that would be something that might enhance your enjoyment of a piece of written media is uh, listening to audiobooks where the, you know, the person performing is going to do a voice for each character. And that to me felt more manageable because oftentimes they're like, you know, it's like some 60 year old guy who has to do the voice for like a 10 year old girl occasionally. And I'm like, OK, I could probably do that in my head. I don't know if I could, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. an it's an easier ask, I guess, when you have only one voice yourself to to you know come up with something maybe not exactly akin, but, you know, ballpark. She's got a higher pitch voice, it's a little squeaky. Yeah. You know, what's funny about that, though, is that I, I will cast people as characters like mm. like I'll, I'll cast like real life actors or voice actors as like the voices of, of characters and things as I'm reading something. And yeah, I, I feel like I've, I've done that for a long time, even be- before I started voice acting and had a, a voice bank in my head of different voices. But but yeah, I, I find myself casting specific voices that I find maybe particularly pleasing uh, in certain roles. So. Mm. So like a McConaughey for Richard Rory. <laughs> hmm. I'll give you. All right, I'll let's cast you. it. I, you know, okay. <laughs> I'm just spit. I'm just spitball. I'm trying to get it. Let's cast it. So, uh, you know, let's let's provide a voice for Jen Walters. Who's doing the voice for Jen Walters? For me, it's Corey Pettit. It's got to be Corey. Pettit. Oh yeah, easy choice. Wow. Can I ask you to do a line read before oh. we end the show? Oh okay. So if you pull the issue that we read together, uh, Savage She-Hulk number eight, uh, Jen has a monologue. And it's when she tells the, the members of La Hacienda that they are living life the wrong way. <laughs> okay. Here we go. I'm ex- okay. I am excited. Let's, oh, I'm ready. Incredible. Uh, okay. 
Death. Is that what you're so afraid of? I think not. It's life that scares you. I think you have forgotten what true life really is. Life isn't just being. It's doing. It's facing fear, accepting risks, losing and winning. But this hiding, this subverting of your souls, has turned your wonderful gift into a terrible curse. Wow. 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 Man thing has never sounded better. No, man thing has never sounded better. Now, do you, um, quick line reading, uh, do man things response? Go ahead. Nailed it. Incredible. <laughs> wow. Of course, uh, uh, bat-eared listeners know that uh, the man thing uh, cannot speak, uh, has no voice, and only the bat ear people know. Only know the bat. Okay. okay. All right. So the problem is, is bat eared sounds like bad eared. So <laughs> if you've got bad ears, even you should know. Uh, Corey, that was stunning. Um, that was the best performance that this show has ever seen. Y'all are just uh, the best two friends a girl could have. That was great. That was really amazing. <laughs> I'm, I, I really appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate you taking me up on on reading a, a, a comic about a character that that so few uh, even know exist. But now you know, and it, you know, for me, I feel like part of the trick of this entire show is not not just to get to know my friends a little bit better, to spend a little time with them, but to really fool them into learning about uh, the man thing. And that's what we're doing, one issue at a time on Man Thing Minute. Corey, is there anything? that you are working on right now, anything that you want to plug or ways for our listeners to follow you? Oh, gosh. Well, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Geek Catnip, where I talk about Star Wars a lot. Yes. Um, that's, that's yeah, I talk about Star Wars a lot. Um, and how good was Andor, though? Oh, my God, how good was Andor? Wow. I've heard many, many good things. And as somebody who has kind of given up on Star Wars with the glut of media we have now, sure. sorry, sorry, Corey. I, that is one of the few that I've I've considered actually, you know, visiting. And, and I get it. After the book of Boba Fett, you know, shout out to uh, Carrie Jones and Black Kersantan. I love that guy and that Wookiee. Um, after the book of Boba Fett and their 20 mile per hour uh, Vespa chase. I thought, I don't know if I can do more Star Wars stuff. And then Obi-Wan came out and I bailed before the show ended. I, I, I don't know about you, Corey, but I, I could not hang with the nostalgia romp. And I also thought, I thought maybe there's no more place in my heart, my cold, dead heart. And Andor came along and whooped my ass emotionally. Uh, I cried real thug tears at the, the finale of that, that show. It was unbelievable sheesh if, if if i can if i can convince you to okay i i have i have a lot of thoughts on obi-wan uh -huh. a lot of thoughts uh -huh. uh, and i fucking love obi-wan like i would yeah i'd sell the house for obi-wan <laughs> <laughs> you mean the character or do you just mean you and mcgregor generally but is there a difference Oh, I see. Talking about bringing the person to the role. Wow. Anyway, that's not relevant. Um, watch the last two episodes. Okay. Honestly, all the stuff that like sort of happens before then, you can sort of just go without. You can appreciate the last two episodes. Okay. Um, it 
for me, it really sort of changed my thoughts on the series. I still feel like I have legitimate criticisms about the show, but the last two episodes, I was like, okay. Yeah. Will I rewatch the series? It, probably not. But will I rewatch select scenes from the last two episodes? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, there's the endorsement right there. And I, I will take your word for it and I will follow through accordingly. If you would like to learn more about what Corey is working on, uh, what roles she is voicing, or her opinions on Obi-Wan and what she will spend for him, and you can follow her on Twitter at Geek Catnip. Corey, I can't wait to see you on TV again in the role of, of Jen Walters. You nailed the audition today, so if I know anybody, then I'll connect you. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate you so much. I had not known you had planned for Corey to do uh, a quick uh, line or two here, and you are incredibly talented. I was blown away. Like, I... I I, the, the comic book came to life. I kind of wish we had you on for every episode so that you could do that. Uh, but I just want to say thanks for thanks for joining us. And this was a blast. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. Uh, we appreciate all of the people who joined us for this episode and hung with us for this. We will see you next time on Man Thing Minute.